Let me ask, have you ever had the order of things in your life without your notice change drastically? Let me ask, have you ever at any time in your life known failure? Remember, F-A-I-L means first attempt in learning. Or have you ever waited for an answer and waited and waited and waited and waited for an answer to come only to have the answer be no? Well, remember, N-O means next opportunity. Did you ever, ever think in your wildest dreams, well, this is it. This is the end. Remember, E-N-D means effort never dies. So I said all that to say, could you be sitting here today in a situation there where you really are being challenged and it's time for you to totally change your mindset? Maybe? If so, I want you to listen carefully to all that God has to teach us today. Now, I have a story to share with you, and then a little history lesson that goes with that story. The story itself is of how David, the shepherd boy, became the king of Israel. Let me just say that God could have bypassed all the usual protocols and just landed David in the palace, which I believe would have been suicidal for David. You see, he had to first learn the language of the court. He needed to learn statecraft, and he needed to learn royal tradition. Plus, he had to learn to deal with the pressure of success, I said, the pressure of success and position and he had to pass the tests of pri pri uh, propriety and power and great wealth. So before going further, I'd like for us to consider the title of this message today, When God Changes the Order. And let's just pause now and ask for his blessing and his leading on these thoughts, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, the living word. Thank you that we have a full revelation of you in Jesus. And thank you as we open your word today, we can see exactly what part he plays in all of that great redemption story. And if it were not for Jesus, then it would certainly be destitute and dreadful for us to even think of where we'd be. So God, we have a purpose in learning this morning. May our minds be open and clear. May our spirits be receptive. And may every heart be touched with the truth of the Word of God. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I want to leave with you a few history facts. Uh, these likely will not be on the exam, but I'd learn them just in case. 
you never know. Uh, there are 20 generations from Adam to Abraham. You say, why do I need to know that? You don't. There were 14 generations from Abraham to David. There were 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon. And there were 14 generations from the deportation to the coming of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Promised One, the Savior. Now, you're going to meet, in just a little bit, a man by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul, king of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I just want to say that again. Saul, the king of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And David was the son of Jesse, of Bethlehem, of the tribe of Judah. So he was the son of Jesse, of Bethlehem, of the tribe of Judah. And by the way, he was Jonathan's presumed rival for the crown. David became king. The covenant that those two men had formed eventually led to David, after Jonathan's death, graciously seating Jonathan's son uh, uh, at, his, at his own royal table instead of eradicating the former King Saul's line altogether. Very important to what else I'm going to say today. Just try to keep those little things in mind. You've probably heard of the term the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is a symbol found in Genesis and over in Revelation. So the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible. In Genesis, Jacob blesses his son Judah, referring to him and his future tribe as a lion's cub and a lion. That's in Genesis 49. In Revelation, this same symbol is seen again when the lion of the tribe of Judah is declared to have triumphed and is alone worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. You'll find that in Revelation chapter 5. Jesus is the one, you see, who is worthy to open the scroll, according to John chapter 5, verse 22. Therefore, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, in your Bible, or your Bible app, if you wouldn't mind, please come with me to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man, and by the way, this man is Goliath, the giant. Do you see how he keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king, Saul, will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Wow. Now I slip down to verse 57. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, uh, so the mission was accomplished there. Abner, the head of the, the military force, took him and brought him before King Saul with David, I love this part, with David still holding the Philistine's head. 
the Bible gets graphic sometimes, and uh, it's, those are the times you need to listen. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, of Bethlehem. Now I want you to go into 1 Samuel 18, right there, and start to read at verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit. I believe they became kindred spirits with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now this next verse is, I call, one of the most pivotal verses of the entire Bible. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Let me just stop there. I'm going to read a few more verses, but I want to just take a little pause here to say what I just read in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 18 is very, 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 very important. And again, the title of our message this morning is When, when God Changes the Order. Let me tell you what's happening here. Those things that Jonathan removed and put on David were all symbols of royal authority and power and position. And remember, he is the son of Jesse of Bethlehem, of the tribe of Judah. I hear an angel saying, Unto you is born this day. In the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. O little town of Bethlehem. Yes. You see? You see? Jesus came through the tribal line of Judah. And this was not going to happen with Saul on the throne of Israel. And this, verse 4, is a symbolic gesture, if you will. But I think more than that, it is the turning point. It's when God decided he was changing the order of things. Then in verse 5, we pick up the reading. So if you could still follow a little. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in his army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well, which is very rare. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Ooh, ooh. Saul was very angry to hear those words. Those words, that refrain, displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. 
What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Betcha he did. Then if you would, I want to just slip down to verse 14, because it's so important. And David had success. Can we all say that word together? Success. Say it one more time. Success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. For the Lord was with him. For the Lord was with him. Let me just start by saying, success is a good thing. Whether we admit it or not, we all want to be successful at something. That's why promotions and victories and being selected for something and graduations and marriages and special recognitions and and births and and additions and all of that kind of stuff, they always make us feel achieved, like we've reached a certain point and it's a, a point of success. They become the high moments in our lives. Someone said, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. When you fail, no one wants to be associated with what you're doing. Take a look. Where was David taken from? David was taken from nothing to something, and all overnight. His uh, success is associated with a time of celebration. It's also associated with a time of vulnerability. And he wasn't alone. Let me just give you a list of a few people in the Bible who were also faced with time of celebration mixed with a time of vulnerability. And I won't go into their stories. I'll just give you their name, and, and you can do the research. But Elijah and Jesus himself in uh, Matthew 3 and 4, and Moses all through the Exodus, Joshua during the great battles, Jacob in Genesis 35, Paul and Silas in Acts 16. What a tremendous celebration they were having. And then a great time of vulnerability and then a great time of victory again in the name of the Lord Jesus. What about Job, especially in the first couple or three chapters? And of course, our friend Daniel especially in Daniel 6. Now let me give you a few warnings about success. Well, I'm not going to give you a few warnings. God is. In Deuteronomy chapter nine, uh, chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, we read these words. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. And then, if you would, and you're notating, go to Luke chapter 12 and mark the verses 16 to 21. That's the story of the parable of the rich fool who had gathered everything he, he could gather into barns. He built bigger barns and filled them and Then someone asked him the question, this is great, all that you have, and it's amazing how much you've amassed, but what if your soul is required of you tonight? Then whose will these things be? And then in 1 Timothy 6 and 9, Paul is writing, 
And he says to Timothy, But those desiring to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish, harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, despite all of the responsibility, and despite the accountability, and despite the vulnerability, it's an amazing story, the story of David right here. Because David acquired many new benefits. Let me list some for you. First of all, he acquired favor and love of the king, King Saul. That was a phenomenal change from what David had been used to. Another great benefit was a change of venue from shepherd to the palace. Another change was the change of status. Now he had become the favorite of the king. Another great benefit was love and admiration of the military. The Bible clearly says that the soldiers, the army, the men of valor were all pleased with him and were praising him. He also won the friendship of the king's son, the rightful heir to that throne. And you remember this is something that happened because God changed the order. Uh, he also gained love and admiration of all the people. He went in and out among them, and they loved him, and they just, they just basically worshipped him. He also received love and admiration of the women. He was the theme of the women's songs. <laughs> he became the king's son-in-law. He was given command of the army of war. Something else, his family would not pay taxes in Israel for a lifetime. He excelled in everything he did. He became a household name and still is. He was ten times more successful than King Saul. And before leaving it, I've got to add, he received favor and praise in the kingdom. All these praises, believe it or not, and all these benefits that I've mentioned did not go to David's head. The newfound celebrity did not seem to change him. Proverbs 27 and 21 reads, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. But a person is tested and purified by being praised. How you handle praise, how you handle promotion, how you handle success. So these next things that I want to mention may be called, I couldn't think of anything better to call them other than the dangers of success. First danger, I think, is arrogance and pride. One of the biggest mistakes that a leader can make is to believe that success is a static concept. Like, there, I've reached it. There, I'm, I'm at the pinnacle. There, I've done it, and I don't need to do anything more. Look, upon achieving any success or accomplishment, a leader may think he or she has arrived and can now rest on their laurels, but nothing could be further from the truth. So if you've arrived, or if you've made it to the next plateau, congratulations, and God bless you. 
But just remember, arrogance and pride are lurking right around the corner, and they're ready to take you down. So don't rest on your laurels. Because if you think it's over, it might very well be over. Then the second danger of success is just complacency. You see, once pride or arrogance or haughtiness begins to take root in our hearts or in our character, the next danger of success is complacency. And what is complacency? In my books, it's the, it's the refusal to grow or to learn. You become less sensitive of happenings around you, and that can be very, very dangerous. And by the way, I will add, this did not happen to David. And then there's another danger, the danger to listen and learn. Our relationship with others can be affected because we refuse to listen to anyone, sometimes not even God. Or maybe the person who placed us in this exalted or higher position, and now we don't have time for them. And we don't even listen to them anymore. Of course, that makes sense, because if you already know it all, what else is there to learn? That failure to listen and learn. The greatest leaders are the greatest learners. No matter what level they've, they've reached, they'll tell you, I still have this this desire, this innate desire to keep moving on and to keep learning and to keep growing. I hope that's you, and I hope that's me. And then there's a fourth uh, danger that I call teaching as the expert. Back nearly, nearly 40 years ago, I was uh, blessed to be able to travel a lot, and I traveled to many states, and I traveled to every province of Canada and into Alaska and and had an opportunity to, to speak and to teach at Christian Educator Conventions. It was a great opportunity, a great blessing. But I used to tell myself, once I think that I know it all, and that's why I'm here, that I'm going to lose my hunger to learn. And when I lose my hunger to learn, I'm going to fail to learn, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be the kind who doesn't listen to others and my teaching will just become the dialogue of the expert. I do not practice the interactive community model of teaching at that point, in which the teacher is a co-learner rather than the expert. And that's what the teacher ought to be. And so we all need to be teaching, and we all need to be learning. And learning, if, if it's anything else, it just becomes one-way, didactic, all the way, from the expert teacher to the student learner, and you know it all, and you're the expert, and nobody can tell you anything, not even God. And so, and by the way, let me just tell you, that's where you, that's your plateau. That's where you stop. You don't move beyond there until you humble yourself. Be careful, too, how you receive praise. Don't go for it if it's intended for someone else, or it's really intended for the whole body, or it's intended for your superior, or maybe it's intended for another colleague, but you just happen to be there in the way, keep it humble and keep it simple. 
Now, there are three major temptations that David faced. I want to add Joseph also faced in his day. And I'm calling this tested by success. And with all due respect to both genders this morning, let me say, his first test was with women. David was tested by female attention. I I don't want to refer to present-day news items. But most men, or maybe I should say many men, who make it to the top do not survive this test. They fail, and then they fall, and then they succumb to the attention of women. Now, I wanted to say, right here, David assuming the throne, or soon to, he's fine. And as a great warrior, he can take all that and he can handle it. But later on in life, we'll find out not so much. His story progresses, and over a few more years, we see a different David. But for now, he had conquered that. The second test of success is power. David was tested by a demotion first. This is an interesting thing that very seldom is mentioned. See, men don't don't dream of dropping down the ladder of success. They dream of going up the ladder. Well, in 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, David gets this big promotion. I read it. We read it together. He was not just going to be part of the army and the head of certain sections. He was going to be over the whole war army, but... In verses 13 to 15, if you went down there, he's actually demoted. Now Saul's starting to have doubts. He's demoted from taking charge of the whole army to now just a 1,000 men. Maybe that was a battalion. Maybe that was just one group of one part of the army. Yet here's something interesting. David remains faithful in every assignment, and God made him successful in everything he did. He didn't concern himself with fame. He bloomed where he was planted, and all his campaigns, this Bible tells us, were successful. And then there was a third, and is a third, test of success, and that's wealth. David will begin, as we first meet him, living like a beggar. And everything he has, soon after this meeting with Saul and Jonathan, he's going back to that. And everything pretty much gets stripped from him. And in his frustration, he's actually tempted to murder in order to have the wealth that he he, he, he just tempted to have, and, and at times he was tempted to have it, at times he was tempted not to have it, at times he was th- thinking awful thoughts about doing other people in. Wow. And you know, David lost some things, hear me carefully, as a result of his success. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know who you're trying to impress. I don't know what your work Uh, ethic is. I don't know anything about that kind of thing or where you are on the ladder, if you're even on the ladder. 
But let me just tell you, we all stand to lose some things as we rise up on that ladder if we're not very careful and if we're not continually in God's Word. Here's what David lost as a result of his success. And we need to see this. Well, for sure he lost his prestigious position. See, at the very height or pinnacle of his popularity, he was climbing the corporate ladder. Then he lost his position. Why? Due to the jealousy and due to the intimidation and due to the paranoia and due to the unwanted fears of the king at that time. It was a pity. I, nobody could explain it. Why is David being demoted? But demoted he was. He also lost many close relationships. Let me say that again. He also lost many close relationships. You see, David was married to Saul's daughter, Michal, and his best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. Michal had assisted David in his escape, remember? She let him down from the window, and away he went, and Saul would have killed him. And Jonathan hides David for a while, here, there, and everywhere. And in between, David visits Samuel, who had anointed him to become the next king of Israel. Things are starting to clear up now. And David then deserts his family, so he lost that. And in each case, David had to give up the relationship because Saul would have killed each of these people. If he knew they were involved in protecting David, their life would have been over because Saul was so murderous. He tries to kill his own son Jonathan for helping David. He considered his daughter to be illegitimate. Look, it was not safe being David's friend or being David's wife. To protect the people he was closest with, David had to give up all those relationships and continually be on the run. And then I want you to notice what else he lost. David lost his personal dignity. As we see hiding places began to run out for David. And Saul is starting to close in on his whereabouts. This you might call a real-life fugitive on the run. Wherever David went, Saul had spies on the lookout. And David, this is interesting, finally ends up in the city of Gath. That's the same place where Goliath was from. As soon as he enters the city, people begin to recognize him. I wonder why. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you were to read ahead, and I strongly suggest you do that, he pretended to be insane in the presence of the people, made marks on the doors of the gates, and he let saliva run down his beard, the Bible says. This is all humiliation. David, the best warrior, and by now a household name in Israel, set his personal dignity aside and acts like a crazy man. So, when God changes things up and the natural order is out of order, it should force us, my friends, to take one day at a time. Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How true that is, and I'm sure you found it to be in your life as I have in mine. I now want to read a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm reading for a change this morning from the Amplified Bible. Paul is writing here to the Corinthians. He says, For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about uh, our trouble in the west coast province of Asia Minor, how we were utterly weighed down. We were beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life itself. That's pretty desperate. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the sentence of death, and we were convinced that we would die. But this happened so that we would not trust in ourselves. Isn't this good? Huh? But in God, who raises the dead. Hear me, friend. Only our God offers lasting security. Most of us find or look for or try to find security in things. Things that are temporary. Things that are only going to last a short while and then be gone. Things that fail. Oftentimes they fail us and they disappoint us. Things like money and relationships and careers and retirement plans and whatever, you name it. We must learn to put our security in God who is the same yesterday and today and forever and who never leaves us nor forsakes us. Here are three more valuable lessons. Just want to leave these with you. Number one, forgive people as you move through life. You cannot treat people as they treat you. Forgive and free yourself from that burden. And then a second valuable lesson I leave with you. Keep giving to God and keep helping others no matter what. Keep giving to God and keep helping others no matter what. Hey, when God changes the order, keep giving to Him. Keep yielding to Him. Keep submitting to Him. You say, well, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I got here. I don't know how things change so fast. I don't know what God's doing. Just keep submitting to Him and always help others. And the third lesson I want to leave with you this is a great lesson. Be grateful every day of your life. What's grateful mean? Full of gratitude. Just full of gratitude. Grateful when things go your way. And grateful when they don't. Grateful for your eternal salvation and God's enduring love. Amen? Grateful for, a, this is so dynamic, grateful for a personal relationship with your God through Christ. Personal, loving, intimate relationship with Him.
And lastly, grateful. I hope you're hearing me. Grateful, grateful, grateful. Even when God changes the order. Had God not changed the order, in 1 Samuel, the lesson we just learned, the fourth verse where Jonathan took off his robe and put it on David, we wouldn't have a Messiah, King, Savior, Lord Jesus today to praise. But the whole plan changed immediately. So be grateful when God changes the order. Can we be quiet before the Lord for just a moment? And I'm going to ask God to help us to digest these thoughts and these precious words from His Word. Heavenly Father, once again we thank You for always, always, always teaching us, leading us, showing us, opening up for us so many great truths, nuggets of truth. And we thank you this morning that we've seen one example of your greatness. How just in that one exchange, basically the whole world changed. Basically mankind was no longer desperate. Basically now we have a Savior. Now we have a clean line all the way through to Jesus. May we take all these thoughts and may we just remember that we need to be grateful every day of our lives when it's going well and when it's not. When you're present and when we can't find you and when we try to talk to you but we're not getting answers and, and, and when we go our own way and, and, and forget that you're in charge. And even when you change the order, the main order of life for us. May we be grateful. Lord, touch our hearts and lives with these truths. Forever truths they are. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.